I'd love to speak to you this morning about, where can I put this, um, about the heart. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I'd love to speak to you this morning about the heart. Growing up, um, there was a question that we asked a lot in our household, and that question was, how is your heart? And that question was more or less interchangeable in our family with a slightly more simple question that we probably, as normal humans, use a lot more often, which is, how are you? So when I'd come home from school, I'd often get asked the question, how's your heart, darling? Um, And in fact, I can remember um, the first time my sister-in-law, who was like the first person that entered our family that wasn't a member of the immediate family, came and she was sat around our dinner table and she was asked that question and the look of dread on her face. Um, She looked like she wanted the ground to swallow her up. Um, And if I'm honest, it's a question that I have probably been asked hundreds, maybe thousands of times throughout my life. Um, And I've not been incredibly good at giving it the time or the thought it deserves. And so it's a question I'd love to ask you this morning. How's your heart? And I'm going to try and unpack a little bit about the heart, its importance, and some healthy habits that we can do to help um, establish really healthy hearts in us. So let's start by thinking about the importance of the heart. Heart health is a really big deal, um, both in a physical sense and a spiritual sense. And I appreciate that that's probably like the understatement of the century, medically speaking. And if you're medical, I apologise for what I'm about to try and describe. As far as I'm aware... The heart is like the operating system for our entire body um, and it is the most important organ. So without our hearts, there is no life. And in the same way that our hearts are absolutely crucial and fundamental, like fundamental to how we operate as physical beings, um, it's the same for how we operate spiritually. So as Christians, the health of our hearts are fundamental to how we're doing How's your heart this morning? Perhaps you're a pro at looking after your heart, um, in which case you should probably be giving this talk, not me. But if you're anything like me, it's perhaps something you can often have left quite neglected at times in your life. And when we talk about the heart spiritually, it's like a metaphor for our inner world. It's the place where we feel and where we hope and where we dream and where we choose and where we trust and where we imagine. And it's the place where we connect with God and it's the place where he connects with us. And sometimes following Jesus, it can be reduced down to this, like buying into a code of behaviour, like a code of conduct type style relationship, a bit like a slot machine. Um, But actually at the heart of the Christian faith, It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's a love relationship of the heart. And as humans, we're very good at looking at externals. Um, We're programmed to, in fact, and we make all our assumptions based off how people look, how they turn up to church looking, what car they drive, where they live. Um, And we've done this all this morning already, I imagine. Oh, she was late, he was late. But God, he looks at the heart because it's the truest part of who we are and how we are. I'd love to just try and share a story. It's not a story, actually, it's from the Bible, from 1 Samuel 16. And in this passage, we have God, and he speaks to Samuel, and he asks Samuel to go and anoint a new king over Israel. So Samuel 
does what the Lord says, and he heads to Bethlehem, and he goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has many sons, so he has them all lined up, um, waiting for Samuel's arrival. He gets the sons ready, and Samuel looks at Jesse's eldest son, he's called Eliab, and he looks at Eliab, and he's like, God, surely this is he. Surely he's the next king of Israel. He's tall, and he's strong, and he's handsome, and he would make a great leader and a great king. And so Samuel says to um, the Lord, is this he? And the Lord says, no, I've refused him. So Samuel goes to the next son. And he proceeds, I think there were seven in total, sons lined up in front of him, and he proceeds to work his way through the sons. And every time he says to the Lord, God, is this he? Is this the one you want to anoint as the next king of Israel? And the Lord says, no, that's not him. So it gets a bit awkward. Um, You know, these brothers on paper, they're great guys. Um, they They would have made great kings and great leaders. So Samuel's a little bit perplexed, and so he turns, um, let's pick up actually in verse seven, it says this, but the Lord says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel turns to Jesse, and he's like, I just wanna check, is this it? Um, it was probably a really awkward conversation, probably one of those times you would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. And just picking up again in verse seven, um, verse 11, it says this. Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is outside keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and bought him, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so that's how David, King David, that's how he was anointed as king over Israel. Samuel passed by seven of the elder, more competent brothers, but it was David, the youngest, scrawny one, he didn't even make it to the, to the first lineup of, of brothers. He was out in the fields, tending to the sheep, totally oblivious to what was going on inside. I reckon he was a bit of a dreamer. And nothing, absolutely nothing about his stature, um, stature or his status really made him worthy of, of being the king. But it was his heart. For the Lord looks at the heart. And the Bible, it speaks about the heart and the importance of our heart so much. A little over 900 times, in fact. It talks about how everything we do, everything we are, flows from our hearts. And sometimes we can use phrases that refer to the heart that speak sort of quite flippantly about the heart, like, oh, he wears his heart on his sleeve, or she's got a heart of gold, or she's a real heart person. And sometimes we use these phrases, they can be used in like a really positive or a really negative way or a way to try and help in our human terms explain how someone is and how they're connected to their hearts. But when the Bible speaks about the heart, it's talking about so much more than how we are, how we are or how we feel or how we're doing. Um, I work for Alpha. Um, I work for Alpha UK specifically and my job is to manage the operations for Alpha UK, which is quite a task. And um, 
because I work in operations, I love things to be ordered and I like things to have um, a place. I have a label maker on my Christmas list this year and I like spreadsheets and colour coding and sorting out boxes and I like to know like when things are happening and how they're happening and why they're happening. Um, if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, which is like a personality type analysis thing, I am certainly a thinker over a feeler. So I'm actually usually far more in tune with what's going on up here in my head than what's going on in here in my heart. And let's be honest, we love to analyse ourselves, don't we? Um, a lot of us will be familiar with different types of like personality tests and personality analysis type programmes. Um, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, Colours Profiles, you name it, we've probably done it. I have at least anyway. And as a generation, that stuff, I think it's actually quite in. To, it's like in to understand yourself. Um, in fact, it's really encouraged, I found. It's like cool to know yourself, um, to know what makes you tick and what doesn't to know what feeds you and to know what drains you. Um, it's the type of conversation we end up having like round the table at dinner parties, I found. I've even been asked in a job interview um, what my Myers-Briggs profile is, which is an INTJ, if anyone wants to know. Um, but it's just a reflection of how normalised that level of understanding and that type of behaviour has become. And this stuff is a great way of helping understand ourselves and the people around us. And something else that I've noticed that we've all become very good at, especially in the last couple of years, both talking about and, and actually practicing in, is self-care, especially during those many lockdowns, which hopefully we've seen the back of for a little while, forever. Um, it's like during those lockdowns, understanding ourselves and getting in touch with ourselves and doing the right thing for ourselves was suddenly like the key to survival. It was for me anyway. We started um, running, didn't we? And we baked the sourdough and we, um, we read more and we just had this opportunity to reset. I did it. Um, I jumped on just about every bandwagon out there going. Um, I got into work phone calls, walking around the block, and I baked the sourdough. I attempted to run the 5K, not very well. Um, I cleared the attic, painted my dining table. You know, we, I did everything. Um, and it felt really good, and it did me good too. I read this week, this is slightly off topic, I read this week that apparently one in five lockdown purchases are now regretted. Um, which we, as a household, are guilty of. We bought a pizza oven, thought we'd use it all the time, and as the winter months rolled in, realised it was a lot easier to order a pizza or buy a pizza. So <laughs> we've, sold, we've sold it on eBay. <laughs> we lost £50, pounds, if you wanted to know. But for many of us, this past season, it has given us the opportunity to reset, to rethink to develop healthy patterns and to get in touch with ourselves again. For me, the nursery rush had gone, the commute in and out of London it had gone for a little while. And it's like I'd been given this time each day, just this little bit of time where I got more in tune with myself and more in tune with my needs. And so I'm not undermining self-care or the importance of self-understanding um, in the point that I'm about to make. I actually think it's so important. It's all linked in so many ways. Um, and, and for the record, I do think it's one of, one of the best things, not loads of great things have come out of the last couple of years, but it's one of the best things for me personally, that I have a greater sense of self-awareness um, and self-understanding and I've developed better rhythms in my own life to help look after myself. 
You see, getting in touch with ourselves and understanding ourselves is honestly so important and necessary. But it's when we think that that's it that things can start to get a little slippery. It's when we think that because we've got the steps in and because we've baked the bread and um, everything else, we've done the stuff, that we're a-okay and it just stops there. That's where it gets a bit dangerous. That's where we can perhaps have neglected the most important thing, which is our hearts. You know, all these things I just mentioned, they actually only get us so far. Maybe sometimes they look like we're looking after our hearts. Maybe they even help us do so to some extent. But none of them take the place of truly getting in touch with our hearts daily and allowing God in. Don't get me wrong, self-awareness, great. Um, Self-care, great. It's all good and it leads to healthier versions of ourselves, but it's not a patch on truly looking after your heart. Um, Not a patch on spending time with him and allowing him in. So I'd just love to give a few, um, a few thoughts on how we can develop really healthy hearts. So the, th- the first habit of a healthy heart is to keep it soft. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. One of the keys to having a healthy heart is keeping it soft. And Honestly, one of the um, biggest tests I find in establishing whether my heart has become hard or soft is just by looking and listening and seeing what's coming out of it. Um, What I'm saying, how I'm behaving, the things I'm doing. Because what's in your heart flows out from it. The Bible says that. And when I squeeze my moisturiser tube in the morning, I expect moisturiser to come out not mayonnaise. If my heart is soft, the right stuff will come out. If my heart is hard, the wrong stuff will come out. Um, I see it happen all the time in my life, more often than I'd like. Um, I know when my heart isn't soft because the wrong stuff comes out. It's full of bitterness and pride and so much more messy stuff that um, I won't list. Um, road rage is an interesting example. It's probably the best example I can give you. It's actually not something I say I have a, a great problem with. Um, but my goodness, how I drive <laughs> um, based off how I'm doing in my heart significantly changes. If I'm in a good place, I will help you get to work. And I will flash my lights and give you a smile. I will let you in. Um, I will thank you. I will stop when I'm told to stop and start when I'm told to start. And when I am not in such a great place, I will give you the eyes. And I will tuck up so closely to the car in front of me (laughs) that you will not stand any chance of getting into my lane. (laughs) And sometimes I may use my horn. Now... It's quite a trivial example, and the truth is we could probably apply some quite more serious examples when thinking about like the difference of our behaviour based off how we're doing in our hearts. It's like the most ugly side of us comes out when our hearts have become hearts of stone. We can become secretive and stingy and short-tempered and selfish and arrogant, and the list could go on. I ran out of S's. Um, 
it's like the absolute worst in us comes out because our hearts, the hearts of stone. And I love that verse in Ezekiel. I think about it a lot at the moment. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that is what happens when we give our lives to the Lord. He gives us a heart of flesh. And it's also a continual process where we need to keep going back to the Lord. We need to keep going back to him to have our heart softened. What does a heart of flesh look like? I probably find it um, easier to talk about what a heart of stone looked like based off those examples. What does a heart of flesh look like? It's a heart turned to God. It's a heart healed by God. Soft hearts, they're full of compassion. They stop, they feel, they see things. Um, a soft heart, it's full of generosity. It's a heart, um, it's, it, it's full of generosity and it's moved to give, it's moved to action. Um, just last week, Mike talk about, talked about giving and generosity. It's, it's hearts of flesh that will be moved to give, not stone. A soft heart is full of humility. It's quick to say sorry and it's willing to learn. A soft heart, quite simply, um, is a heart that's full of him. Full of his spirit, full of his grace, full of his truth, full of his goodness. So how do we keep our hearts soft? Well, we stay connected to the source and the source is him. When we withdraw from the noise and the busyness of life, we allow him the time and the space to come in and to soften our hearts. And another thing we can do, um, and this might sound a bit weird, but it's really practical and it's really helped me out, is we can pray for our hearts. Um, sometimes when you see the ugly stuff coming out, you can stop and just put a hand on your heart. It's here, I'm pretty sure. And say, Lord, I, like, I want a soft heart. Give me a soft heart for this situation. Give me a heart of flesh. Replace in me a heart of flesh. So that's keeping our hearts soft. The second habit of a healthy heart is to keep them light. John 14 verse one says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Our hearts are where we feel things. And that is a beautiful thing. In fact, I've just spoken about having soft hearts, um, being people with soft hearts. And soft hearts feel, and it's really good to feel. We feel our absolute deepest joys and our deepest sorrows in our hearts the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and a lot of that stuff it makes us who we are makes us who we are um, and also our hearts get burdened not only by things that concern us but by things that concern him we sing that line a lot don't we lord break my heart for what breaks yours and he does he puts things on our heart that breaks our heart and he puts things on our hearts that concern him and it's right and good to feel that stuff. But sometimes we can also harbour so much stuff in our hearts that doesn't need to be there and that doesn't need to stay there. We can store offence and hurt and disappointment in our hearts and we end up carrying it round with us. You know, words people have said, lies we've believed, trauma, hurt. And this stuff can make our hearts feel so heavy and so troubled, as it said in that verse. So when our hearts are heavy, when they're troubled, um, what do we do with them? What do we need to do? Well, it's like we need to throw overboard all the stuff that isn't meant to be there anymore. 
um, picture a hot air balloon just before it's about to take off. Like, the fire's lit. I don't know how it's done. I've never been on one. The furnace starts to go up, and there's that moment where the sandbags just need to be thrown off the side so it can take off, and, like, the stakes are loosened from the ground, and it just and it floats. And not everything needs to be chucked out. There's usually a couple of humans, the hot air balloon driver, and a nice picnic left inside. And then it takes off. In the same way, when our hearts get troubled and when they get so heavy, when the burden is on us, it's time to bring them to him. It's that simple life-giving exchange of, I'm heavy in heart, Lord, but I give it to you. Throw the sandbags out. Um, It's like throwing overboard all the extra weight, lightening the load. We throw it off and we give it to him. And we keep our hearts light by choosing to trust by choosing to unburden them to Jesus. And that's why in that verse, the trust in God bit is so significant. Let me read it again. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also in me. Because you only actually pass the burden on to someone you really trust. It's like when you're going on annual leave and you can hand over to two types of people. The first type of person you could hand over to is the type of person that creates more work for you by the time you get back. I don't know if anyone's had that experience. And the second type of person you could hand over to is the type of person that in your absence will genuinely carry the burden of your workload and do the work for you whilst you're off. So when you lift that lid on the Monday morning when you've come back from annual leave, you can just start from fresh. And that's how it works with him, that second person. When we place the burden on him, that's it. It's like Instant relief and instant unburdening, lightening of the load, sandbags off the side, we put it back on him. As I said, it's in our hearts where we really, truly, deeply feel things, and that's so good. And at times, they're heavy for the right reasons, but they don't need to stay heavy, and they don't need to stay troubled. The first car I ever drove was a little um, green Ford It was so old. I don't even know what the make or model was. And it was green. I say it was green. It had one red door, and I never really understood why. Um, And it was very embarrassing. And the worst thing about the car was that it didn't have powered steering. And so driving was a real effort. In fact, it physically hurt to drive. And I actually suffered a really bad case of, like, frozen, frozen shoulder because of the car. And one day... I say I drove that car, it was the family car that was accessible to me at the time. And one day I came home and um, Freddie the Ford was his name, had sadly gone to um, car heaven and it had been replaced with um, this maroon Renault Clio who we called Rosie. And um, the best thing about Rosie the Renault was that she had powered steering. (laughs) And I suddenly, the first time, it was like the first time I drove her, I suddenly realised, firstly, what a very good driver I happened to be after all that time. And secondly, um, what a pleasure it was to drive. I used to see driving as a total chore and suddenly I actually quite enjoyed the whole experience. And the difference was immediate, um, both in my enjoyment of driving and also physically. It was like I didn't actually carry this actual weight on my shoulder. It was like I realised there was this other way to drive. Um, and that I happen to be quite a good driver in the end, after all. And it's the same with that heart exchange with God. It's immediate. In the same way I realised that suddenly there was another way to drive, we can realise when we truly unburden that stuff and give it to God, that there's another way to live, that we can give stuff over to him and release it, and that we can have lighter and freer hearts. 
How do we not let our hearts be troubled? How do we not stop them becoming so heavy? We give them to him and we trust him with them. Let me read that verse again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also in me. And then the final habit of a healthy heart is to guard them. It says in Proverbs 4 verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So the Bible tells us to guard our hearts. Why? Because everything we do flows from it. We need to take our inside world seriously because they shape our outside worlds. I think one of the biggest understandings I personally have made in relation to this verse um, is what it means and what it looks like to actually guard your heart. Guarding your heart doesn't mean closing it off. It doesn't mean putting walls up around it and a bit of barbed wire for extra measure. But this idea of guarding your heart, it actually means keeping watch over your heart. It's less build a wall, it's more like a security guard keeps watch over something incredibly valuable and special. And I've been on a personal journey over the past few years, I'd say, of discovering that guarding your heart can actually at times look like opening it up. Not to anyone and everyone, um, but it primarily looks like allowing the Lord in and giving him access to all areas. And the mandate to guard our hearts is really clear in that verse because it's on us. The verse says, above all, guard your heart. We're responsible for looking after our hearts and the state of our hearts and what's in them and what's coming out of them. It's not our spouses or our bosses or our pastor's job, it's our job. Above all else, guard your heart. I've learned two things about my heart. Number one, it's valuable. The reason I know why it's valuable, because he tells me to guard it. Nobody bothers trying to protect anything that isn't worth much. I don't insure my rubbish bins. Um, I don't sit out on my street on a Tuesday night waiting to ensure they're collected by the bin men on a Wednesday morning. I put it out there and I don't really care what happens to it as long as it doesn't come back to me. In fact, we're told to guard our hearts. The very fact we're told to guard our hearts teaches me that it's so valuable to us and most importantly to him. And the second thing I've learned about my heart is that it's really vulnerable. You know, it's our hearts the enemy can come after. Our hearts, they're constantly under attack. And the enemy hates everything that Jesus loves. And that includes our hearts. If the heart is truly the place where life flows from, then it's exactly where the enemy will try to get in. And that's why we need to guard them. And guarding our hearts helps us also guard the life that flows from them. And so our hearts, they're both valuable and vulnerable. And sometimes we have to guard our hearts to guard our life. So how do we do this just really quickly? Well, it looks, I think, like constantly going back to that question I started with. How is your heart? Asking ourselves that question frequently. Maybe that's something you can ask yourself more currently, more, more um, frequently than you currently do. It's about looking at what's in your heart. What have you let in? What's spilling out? It's keeping watch over them, guarding them from the enemy. And truly one of the best ways we can guard our hearts is just the simple practice of bringing them to him daily practicing stillness in his presence, withdrawing from the busyness of life and the noise of everything that's constantly competing for our time just to be with him. 
It doesn't say in the Bible, be as busy as you possibly can make yourself and you'll get to know me along the way. It says, be still and know that I am God. And that's the place where we can fully give him our hearts, where faith grows, where intimacy deepens and where our heart is healed and grows with him. We read at the start um, about the story of David being anointed as king. Um, If there were ever a man who knew about the value of his heart, it was David. Um, In fact, he was also described as a man after God's own heart. He had this authentic and intimate relationship with Jesus. He was so in touch with his heart and he could express so well um, what was in it. Just look at the Psalms, all written by David. They're like a display of what was going on in his heart. They're an overflow of the reality of what was going on in his heart. And like any living thing, your heart can either thrive or it can struggle to survive when we neglect them, when we lose touch with them, um, often actually what's going on in in our outer worlds can start to reflect what's going on inside in our inner worlds. And the capacity that we have um, to love others and to give to others and to receive from them and to even love God and receive from him can be really affected from the state of our hearts. You may have had people who have placed real value on your heart and perhaps ask you that question frequently, how is your heart? You may not have. Perhaps like me, even having been asked that question throughout my childhood um, and adult life too, even like me, you may struggle to even know how to respond to that question, perhaps because you're so ruled by what's going on up here. Um, I just want you to know today that God is passionate about you and he's passionate about your heart and he invites you to come to him so your hearts can be made soft, so that your hearts can be light, and um, so that you can start the process of what it looks like to guard them as well, because he wants life for us in all its fullness. I was playing with my son, Jack, just this week, and um, he has this little plastic doctor set, and um, he asked me to lie down on the floor and Um, he started to open up his doctor set and um, he started off with a diagnosis that I'd never heard him say before, which was, mummy, you're really old. (laughs) Really great doctor. And and then he said, he's only really interested in the stethoscope, it's the most exciting part of the set in his opinion, and mine too. And he says, now let's look at your heart. Um, And he sort of um, leaned over me me as he listened into my heart with his stethoscope and like as I took a breath and I was slightly over exaggerating to help him out he would take a breath and as I let out a breath he would let out a breath um and maybe it was because I was writing this talk so I was like far more in tune to what was happening with anything to do with the heart but I just thought it was this really significant prophetic moment where I thought that's how the Lord does it too it's like he does it in complete gentleness he doesn't barge in um, and it's like, as we, as we take breath, he does it with us. But we have to invite him into our hearts. That's how the Lord does it. We invite him in. And when we invite him in, he tends to our broken and our fractured and our weary and our hurt hearts. And he does it in all gentleness. And it's from that place where we let him in, where life can start to flow. So let's bring our hearts to God today.